Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, this is Brendan Freehart, and welcome to the Avocado Toast Career Show. Did you know that was the name? I did not. <laughs> that, that, that's the voice of David Wynn. Welcome, David. Thanks. Uh, you are currently working at a company called Through Green. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It's a little startup that I have. I'm basically the only person right now, and I have a lot of help from outside, and uh, the short short vision is this. Um, you get into your car, you tell your phone where you're going, and then most, if not all, of the traffic signals along the way will be green for you. So that's why it's called Through Green? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ponder that for a long time before I stumbled upon that Was that it tough to get that domain name? It, it was not tough to get it. It was tough to think of it. Okay. <laughs> because that was the main, one of the main criteria, right, is, is the domain available or are the domains available? Were you in the shower? That was the one time I wasn't. You're, yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna prod a little bit here. Sure. Can you explain more? How how is it when I get in my car? Uh huh. Um, I have my phone. Yeah. And we can do the signal phasing such that we're going straight through. Yeah. So the bottom line is that today's traffic systems are very limited mm-hmm. for the most part, and they don't really know how how many vehicles there are on the road, mm-hmm. um, where they are, how fast they're going, or where they're going with any great degree of certainty. So that's the limiting factor. When we have more of that information with more confidence and we have the ability to adjust the signal timing in the traffic lights, then it opens up just an amazing range of opportunities and, and capabilities. You were at the hackathon that uh, was in held in Fairfax recently. I was watching. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the? the someone put up a video of the. I think it was an MIT simulation of the smart um, intersections. People are speeding through, and essentially, their time such that they don't have to slow down. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very compelling vision. I think. It's one day we'll probably far have out there, that. right? Yeah, I don't know exactly when, right. but I, I think that's a direction for sure, that we all want to work towards. How do they take left turns? That's what I really need to know. <laughs> I, I would guess left turns would involve slowing down at least a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit here. Can you, uh, can you tell us, sounds like you started in uh, automotive engineering. Yeah, right? uh, that's right. Where did you go? I graduated from Virginia Tech. VTech, yeah. so, Hokey, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then after that, it wasn't completely smooth sailing straight to through green, right? No, I mean, Could life's an adventure. Us, right? Would you mind taking us through? Uh, no, not at all. Um, so, long story short, is that I had a uh, desire to be an automotive engineer from the time I was about twelve. Okay, that's when I made the decision, and then I didn't even know that mechanical engineering is what a lot of people go into to get into that field until I was about fourteen. And I said to my mom, 
mom, this is what I want to study. She's like, oh, that's very straightforward. You just go to Virginia Tech. So I did. That was the <laughs> only school I ever applied to. Wow. <laughs> Got in and then you know, went to, didn't know I could get out. <laughs> there was some uncertainty there about, am I going to make it? And then, um, yeah, I wasn't the greatest of students, but I was kind of interested in certain aspects of it. Uh-huh. And then I had this crazy roommate situation that was not good at all. And I, I found out that um, uh, I was being, uh, my friends that were calling me, this is before cell phones, right? Friends okay. that would call me. Yeah. And then later on, they'd ask me, hey, did you move? And I'd be like, no, how come? And he goes, well, I called and your roommate said that you didn't live there anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, and this is my senior year, right? Yeah. And then ex- that explains why, you know, I would get uh, invited to on-site interviews out of state. And then I'd fly home and I would never hear from these companies ever again. Oh, man. And yeah, there were some words exchanged after that came to light. Oh, my God. But so this this offer that I had that was the best of the ones that I did have, um, right. I ended up working as a production or as a as a bottling and maintenance supervisor in a liquor bottling plant as my first job out of school. Yeah. You were <laughs> telling me this before. You didn't take anything, which I'm, you know... I don't know if that's just for the radio, but I, I would have at least grabbed one, you know, off the line. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you kind of get sick of it when you see it go by, like, oh, really? you know, hundreds of bottles. Of, well, in this case, probably more like, yeah, yeah, hundreds of bottles a minute, right? And at least dozens. And uh, there's some really funny stories that, that go on in these places. Um, but I, I also sure. had an allowance on my, my corporate card. <laughs> and so when you're first year out of school, <laughs> you go to back to campus to visit with your friends and you just go to the ABC store right. in Virginia, you know, and you, you, you actually take a shopping cart. Right. Because right? it's just this one of these little, like it looks like a kid's shopping cart. Right. And you just go down the aisles and you just like start putting like all sorts of liquor into the, the cart and you like, <laughs> you roll it to the cash register and they're like, it's going to be a good party, huh? You know, I, like, I can't even imagine. I, I feel like yeah. right after college is such a weird time when you, you still have all of the, uh, all of the the impulses of someone who's in college, mm-hmm. but you uh, you finally have a little bit of money. So like <laughs> I, I just remember being able to buy beers that actually tasted good. <laughs> like oh my god, this is wonderful. <laughs> I'm an adult now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I, having a corporate card, I'm sure they exacerbated that. So what came after? That was Seagram's. Yeah, it what? was it was a Seagram's, and uh, I got uh, I got to meet Jimmy Buffett as well because we started bottling this thing called Margaritaville at the time. I. I was going to guess, yeah. Yeah, and he showed up at the at the factory and was pretty, he was, he was quite the gentleman. And uh, yeah, but there's there's all sorts of things that, that go on in there. But but basically from the first day, you know, I was on the, in, in the in the plant, I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Was Jimmy, just uh, one aside, uh-huh. I got to know, was he wearing like a Hawaiian shirt or does, when he's in business, does he button it up a little bit it was definitely not shirt and tie okay uh i believe it was it i believe it was a somewhat tame and not garish hawaiian shirt that he was wearing when he came to visit the plant okay it's more of like a like a like a southern california shirt not not all the way to hawaii yeah i figured maybe this is jimmy buffett's business casual yeah right so what came after seagram's so uh, it was funny. I had an extended spell of like three years of just, I'm like, I'm out of here. And I, I actually went to race cars in Canada for a year. And then uh, I was also running this uh, import business 
that uh, I was importing historic ship models. Really? Yeah, from overseas into the U.S. And my buddy and I were like the first guys on the internet. To really? Ever do this. Yeah, I made like the website with um, with Notepad. Really? <laughs> yeah. And so that was uh, HTML, but it was yeah. the early, um, like Microsoft started doing all their weird stuff with Internet Explorer where HTML was, was like unstandardized, right? Yeah, I never really... Uh, <laughs> you get that deep into it? Quite understood. Like that was one of the reasons I like... I'm not a web developer. Right. Like, how do you deal with all this inconsistency? Yeah, the early days yeah. of the internet, I feel like, scared off a lot of probably pretty decent otherwise web developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing was uh, as good as it is now. I have a ton of questions about this. Sure. So, so this is this is your racing. Mm-hmm. What type of cars are you racing? So at the time, it was called, uh, well, it still is called, it's called Formula Ford. Okay. And uh, the reason I went to Canada was because the, the Canadian racing scene is surprisingly good. Okay. Uh, especially considering that they only have like a tenth of the population of the U.S. Right. But the U.S. is very uh, oval-centric, like NASCAR and things that, cars that, you know, race on oval tracks. Mm -hmm. Whereas F1 is all bendy, right? I don't know enough about racing to talk about this, by the way, as you can tell. Sure, yeah. So it's it's road racing. Road racing. Circuit racing, but road racing. So there's both left and right turns. And and that's much more... uh, that's much more popular in, in Canada and overseas mm-hmm. and Canada is, you know, pretty close. So is it the same? So f- formula Ford one is, is that different than F1 racing? Like the cars at least? Oh yeah. Formula Ford is like the entry level. Okay. Formula one is the top level. Gotcha. Right? So it's the difference between, you know, the, the JV team in, in high school and, you know, professional, the, the you nationals. Know, like, yeah. NBA or NFL, what have you. Okay, next question. Yeah. Why do we have to import boat models? I wouldn't say it's a quite a need. You know, it's not a matter of like national security or like... That's not a domestic product? People don't make boat models in, uh, in Canada? Um, I'm sure they do. Okay. They don't, they don't mass produce them. Got it. And uh, not, for the, uh, not at the prices that you know, they transact for. It's the same reason why you know, your sandals or you know, shirts are probably more likely to be made overseas than, you know, in the ah, U.S. Yeah. There's maybe, a lot of... Maybe a naive question then. A lot of uh, handwork and manual labor, yeah. Gotcha. It's labor intensive. Okay, okay. I'm picturing um, kind of the hobbyists with the with the boat inside the... The, the bottle. bottle. Yeah. No, yeah, this is not like that. It's, okay. uh, they're, they're much bigger and uh, there were no bottles involved. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, because that's hard. Yeah. I've seen it done. So you were one of the earliest e-marketers, it sounds like. Yeah, and so we just did that until basically, even after I was working, uh, you know, at a regular job later, uh, we were still doing that for for years until the competition just naturally caught up. Because I mean, at the beginning, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm. And did you take any lessons from being an early, an early adopter of e-commerce? No, that was like the, the that was the <laughs> that, that was the uh, that was the mistake you know I made um, of not not really exploring that avenue fully. Yeah. It was just kind of a cool thing to do for a while. And no, it's really cool. Had some good stories. But yeah, as far as like, you know, if I could tell my 25-year-old self, you know, X, Y, Z, be like, hey, kid, this e-commerce thing's for real. Devil the Seagrams <laughs> and uh, work on the <laughs> Yeah, like keep yeah. going down this avenue because there's this thing called Amazon. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like you're still almost uh, two decades before CSS. That's, that sounds not worth it. <laughs> It was, 
yeah that was that was painful like you like they put it this way the process a credit card at the time was not anything like it is now it, i yeah. imagine right yeah. it was i can't even remember exactly how how arcane it was it was probably really laborious yeah so what came next you're a street racer um i wasn't a street racer uh, i gotta okay. make a distinction here. i mean yeah. let's just call it street racer you don't know <laughs> that that's uh yeah everything was on a track off the highway totally okay. legal okay. You know, totally legit gotcha yeah um so that sounds pretty cool um no like giant tribal back tattoos where did you move on after that yeah the, the tribal back tattoos they, they never occurred to me never <laughs> <laughs> but uh you, you give me some ideas though but um yeah after that it was the uh, i went to work at a place called the american trucking associations okay and uh you know another one of these weird uh stories is like w when i was racing in canada i would drive up a lot uh, from virginia and uh one time i stopped to help somebody in in pennsylvania because he had been driving without not very judiciously in the rain and he flipped his car oh, right in front of me so i stopped to help him and luckily he was fine um but a tractor trailer ran into my car shoved it into the guardrail like totaled it like shortened it by like a foot oh wow and then drove off <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so nobody ever figured out who it was or found because this is right outside like this place called Breezewood, Pennsylvania, okay. which is like a bunch of truck stops. Yeah, right. And then a bunch of junctions. So it just goes, you could go anywhere. Hidden in plain sight almost. Yeah. And everybody was focused on the accident. Nobody saw the, the truck. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, there was no consistent identification. And and my car wasn't the only car it hit either. It hit another car as well. But uh, so two years later, you know, I go to work for this trucking association. So it-, it Did it, that come up in the interview? I don't know if it came up in the interview, but uh, <laughs> I, I can definitely say that the trucking industry has, you know, uh, compensated me for <laughs> this, uh, this little loss of a of a car. <laughs> what was it like working at the American Trucking Association? Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's the associations. I, associations. That doesn't quite roll off the tongue very smoothly, but um, yeah, it was a good experience. There's, you know, you get to see a lot of, because I've been to a lot of places that you know, trucks go everywhere, right? So mm -hmm. you go to visit different places and see how uh, things are done. And I mean, I've been Michigan, you know, Oklahoma, like all of these like places where trucks go, but aren't usually at the top of like a tourist's uh, itinerary. Yeah, you know? definitely. And uh, yeah, so you see how like the wheels of commerce, literally, you know, no pun intended, like they literally move and the issues involved. And mm -hmm. I got to see, you know, I worked on mainly like safety and emissions related issues. And then on the other side of that, you also have the regulatory um, uh, activity in, in Washington. Mm -hmm. right? So you get exposed to all this. You see where the rubber... Is it all federal? It's not all federal. It's, okay. it's, it's Every state has a trucking association because right. they have different, you know, um, uh, nuances in their regulations. Right. And, and that's one of the challenges, you know, interstate commerce... On, on the one hand, balanced by, you know, the the uh, regional or or state uh, differences in in both regulations and operating environments. You know, like it's completely different in, you know, let's say like the East Coast compared with uh, operating out west in the Rockies or or beyond that. Um, very different things. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Um, so logistics, though, is a is a really big focus right now 
Um, I'm sure you're taking some of your lessons from the American Trucking Association uh, into today when we're talking about potentially automating what is it like a third of the economy or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean so. the trucking industry or not is a third huge. of the economy. <laughs> third, a third of all, I think it was like working, working men in like some some age range. There's uh, well, the <clears throat> thing about the trucking industry is it has a perpetual shortage of drivers. Really? Yeah. There's never enough drivers. It's usually something like fifty thousand drivers or, or jobs open for, you know, that are they need drivers for. And the average truck driver is not particularly uh, young nor that healthy. Uh, you can sort of see why. I mean, right. the lifestyle is not very conducive to things like, you know, taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, right now, sure. You're, you're living on the road a lot. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of good lessons there. Um, sort of see how the how the agencies work, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, like how the, the, the public comments and the sort of the, and then there's also some lobbying involved you mm-hmm. know, in legislation. And you see that process, the mechanics of it. And, you know, for those that have never heard of it, there's the, the Federal Register. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this, but it's like the federal government's daily publication of all the notices of, you know, p- proposed rulemakings and the comments uh, that they're they're seeking public input, feedback. Yeah. And this is a years-long process to get, typically, to get a rule you know, changed or, or implemented. And you see, you see how that works and like all the back and forth that goes on. What is that like? The I mean, the politicking, I don't even, I don't even think about that when I think about trucking, but it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. The massive component of it. And that's the federal level. And then you have the same thing. And this is not just the trucking industry, right? But every industry, because every federal agency that regulates anything has this, um, you know, it has, publications in the federal register and at the end of the year so they, they start on the first you know working day of the year mm-hmm. at page one yeah and then by the end of the year literally i don't know what it's now but to, every year it seems to increase the page count and this is like fine print too it's not like you know it's like three columns yeah and it's like over a hundred thousand pages a year wow this stuff yeah so you have to kind of know your you know ways about how to search and <laughs> look for the thing that you're looking for because otherwise you're going to be reading you know all sorts of things I can't believe you actually were the one doing that. Sometimes I assume no one reads those things. Uh, <laughs> that's that's why some people in this town get paid a lot of money yeah. to not only read those things, but uh, to uh, actually get some of the, you know, well, they're, uh, they're like things par- published. Paralegals or something, right? I mean, it's basically lobbying. Yeah, uh, right. And, and that's more, typically, I would say more on the, the legislative side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that I'm not as familiar with, but the regulatory side, yeah, there's always like, you know that's that's what that's what goes on in in the Washington D.C. area. I think Alexandria is like the Virginia is like the trade association capital of the you know of the country. Really? Yeah, because every industry has to have representation. Otherwise, you know they'll just not be able to know what's going on in yeah, the yeah. in in the government. Uh, that's going to affect them. And so there's an association for everything. Yeah. And that that's sort of I mean this whole town is built on essentially relationships and to some extent trading papers. Yeah, yeah, that, I can see that. The The next step after American Trucking Associations, AAA? Uh, there, was a, there was a brief stint at a defense contractor. Really? Yeah, yeah. Any fine print there? Uh, it was fun. I worked at a um, company. I did, did a little project for DARPA. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. 
So you know that that was a that that was a that was an eye opening experience, and also um, a funny story about that. There was I just happened to be on this contract with somebody I went to school with. We came out of the same class. Okay. You know, yeah, uh, a couple of years. Uh, well, uh, you know, I hadn't seen him in for a few years, but we just happened to be on the same contract. We're working uh, on this this uh, project, and one day we're hosting a meeting, and there's probably twenty people in the room like renowned i mean i don't know if they were famous or anything but they were like scientists of you know high esteem right and they're they're coming they're talking and they're talking about these topics that i'm just like wow that's that's a pretty fascinating topic and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking to myself like you know I, i i looked i looked around the room and then i realized it was probably either me or my former classmate that was the least intelligent person in that room. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty far to the left of the bell curve in here, I think. <laughs> How do you feel about that? That Personally, I love, I, I aspire to be the dumbest person in every room. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. It, yeah. it, it depends on the room, you know? Right. Because, <laughs> you know, the liquor plant was quite the opposite. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, it's briefly detour again here, but... The, one of the things that drove me to leave that place was this woman that worked there uh, and we were training her to use a computer. She'd been there like 30 years. And she said, uh, one day out of the blue, she says to me, she says, how's a computer make you sick? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Like eye strain, carpal tunnel, you know, neck strain. And she's like, what's all this talk I hear about a computer virus? <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, I gotta leave. It, it, that sounds like a teachable moment. Okay, it's, it's give her cut her some slack. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She could be a little more well informed, but I was just like, I, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so before uh, you have to go, yeah. the connected part of this whole thing yeah. that seemed to you were saying before came in a while ago, twenty years ago. Connected cars. Yeah, the idea has been around for a long time. People have been working on it for a long time. And, um, I, I think the technology is, you know, it's workable, but um, what we have now available to us yeah. is so much potentially more uh, flexible and also potentially better, depending on what you're using it for, that I think it's going to have a hard time. That's that's one of the things we're seeing is like um, industry is trying to uh, focus on, you know, a standard. Mm-hmm. set of technologies and, right. and that uh, doesn't appear to have happened yet there's some competing technologies that um, there's still a lot of debate going on but but companies are making investments sort of placing their bets mm-hmm. and maybe th- maybe they're hedging as well uh, I would imagine they are but um, yeah I, I don't see I don't see this getting resolved really quickly okay so I uh, you were telling me that there's there's kind of two components here competing you have a chicken and egg problem mm-hmm. with how you get stuff in the car stuff on the road yeah and then you have the sort of um uh the unappetizing mandate part of it which is making everything this way mm-hmm. and there should be a better way to do it so in terms of standards i don't yeah. know if this has been done before but where do we go how do we get standards without having just one person kind of come in and say this is it like an ASCII, but for connected cars. Yeah, so, you know, back to the association days, right? Usually when some initiative is is brought forth, there are 
a lot of uh, you know discussions that involved all the different stakeholders to try to get everybody on at least aware of it. And then hopefully on the same page where there's a consensus and then things can move forward. It's kind of a slow process, but that's how a lot of things get done so that you can at least try to iron out like the big kinks. Um, with this, I don't, I'm, the same thing is going on, but I think it's becoming a, it's become a much more complex issue over the last, you know, let's say two decades, because now you have, instead of just a traditional auto industry and then their suppliers, you've got basically technology companies mm -hmm. all working on various aspects of this and then it becomes much harder to herd even more cats right do you think that the investment profile helps or hurts i have no idea i mean <laughs> it's i my, my my personal feeling is that if it's if it's a mandate for safety mm -hmm. right like safety doesn't sell right and so if you want to appeal to the end user you've got to have something you know way way more interesting than, than safety, even though it's important. It's like, they're like vitamins, you know, that's why they make Flintstone vitamins, right? Right. Because the kids don't really, even though the vitamins are good for them, you gotta, you gotta jazz it up. You gotta have some sizzle. I don't want to put you on the spot, but what are, what are a few ideas that would um, put the medicine in the oatmeal, as they say? Yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine what I'm working on is, is one of those things. Yeah. Uh, People need carrots. The bottom line is people need carrots totally. to change their behaviors and to adopt something. Um, typically, I think the regulatory side of things looks at more at, you know, sticks. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's one of the transitions that we need to experience is to, okay, besides the enforcement side and, and the mandates and, you know, sticks, what kind of carrots can we provide to uh, the end user? And, and how is that going to uh, accelerate the kind of implementation that we want. So how do you message the carrot of like hyper efficiency? I, I, I've, I've heard the uh, analog recently to people didn't want to go into elevators without an ele uh, person standing there, <laughs> right? It, yeah. It's almost like unfathomable, the future that you're foreseeing. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you message that? That's a very challenging thing. I think. <laughs> and uh, I, I think probably the, the best way uh, is to to demonstrate, mm. um, but but ultimately, you know the message is um, it's going to take. That's the hard part. the The technology, whatever the technologies we're talking about, they're already available, so it's fairly straightforward. But I think that it's the psychology and appealing. You know, the the human side of it is what's really going to make or break whatever comes about in the future. We usually ask one question at the end of these, but I'm going to sure. go two. Okay. okay. First one is, uh, what are you reading? Okay. Um, you can just say pass. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, it's a book called deep work. <laughs> I read it. Yeah. Okay. Cal Newport. Cal Newport. Yeah. 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 So that's what I'm reading. What are your thoughts on, on that, on the me on meetings in general? Me meetings in general? Yeah. Based on deep work. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've always tried to avoid them. <laughs> right. Uh, more more easily now than before. And then second one, um, if the current way that we connect right now mm -hmm. isn't um, isn't how we're going to do it, D, D, what was the acronym you, you ran by quickly? I oh, uh, DSRC, which stands for Dedicated Short Range Communication. What is your bet on the on what might actually happen? Maybe a few 
decades away? Like what technology do we have now you think will be more empowering to a connected vehicle? I would guess if it's decades away. Don't even know. I don't even, yeah, I can't even hazard a guess. Uh, if it's based on today, I would think that it's some combination. Uh, it's probably more than one thing, but um, most likely I would say some variation of cellular simply because everybody pretty much has it already. And it's it's come about so fast, right? In say 10 years, we've got smartphones from like the introduction of a smartphone to something like, you know, 87% of adults have one in the US. Like that's about as fast of an adoption rate as anything else that I've ever heard of, um, of that type. David, thank you so much for coming over. Thanks, my pleasure, Brennan. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.